Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Kriti Gupta, Paul Sweeney here in the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Kriti, it just feels like with the debt ceiling issue essentially put to bed, we still got a couple more moves to go. Yeah. It seems like folks is back on some of the macroeconomic uh, issues out there and some of the economic data points, starting with, uh, you know, non-farm payrolls tomorrow. Yeah, payrolls, and you got the labor numbers uh, in, in terms of kind of wages. Yep. Uh, then you have the Chinese growth numbers that are weighing on, on the markets a lot, not to mention an additional Fed hike. Where did that relief rally go that we were supposed <laughs> exactly. to get? Uh, that seems to be I exactly how this is playing out. All right, let's check in uh, with someone who kind of follows this stuff as well. Dr. Lori Esposito-Murray, president of the Committee on Economic Development from the Conference Board. Uh Lori, thanks so much for joining us here. What are you focusing on here? Because a lot of folks are really trying to put all the crosswinds together and get a sense of maybe where this Fed is going, where this economy is going. What are the data points that you're looking at? Okay, well, first and foremost, uh, Paul, the, the most important data point is the one we just crossed last night, which was the House passage of this bill. So it's important to recognize that that we have just uh, avoided a major economic catastrophe. So data point one, we avoided an economic cat catastrophe. So we can go back and reset and look at the economy. And we're still expecting at the conference board a short, short and a shallow recession uh, that will likely end by the end of the year. But there's a luxury to be able to say that because, again, as I said, uh, last night's vote was really significant and, and uh, uh, historic for the economy this year. And going forward. So, Doctor, just to build on that, the nitty gritty of this bill, as we talk about fiscal spending caps for uh, the next two years, I think. So, January 1st, 2025, which, by the way, Paul, the new president is going to have a yes. real, uh, really uh, <laughs> horrible first day in, in the office or, or first day of the year, I have to say. Um, but, but, Doctor, talk to us about kind of the nitty gritty of the bill in the context of staring down a recession. Uh, in terms of the budget, did we do good here? So it is definitely a victory. It is a victory for America, and it's a victory consequently for the world, given the role that the American economy plays in the world. Uh, the, the accomplishments are we have uh, held spending uh, at the 2023 levels. Uh, we're looking at the next two years of only 1% increase. The, the uh, CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, says over 10 years will actually save $1.5 trillion. This is really significant progress, but I want to underscore that it's really only affecting 15% of the budget. We're at $31.4 trillion in debt and going up. It suspends the debt limit for those two years, doesn't set another cap. Uh, and fortunately, it also puts 
a cap on spending for the next two years. But what we have to look at is that this is only on the non-discretionary, uh, on the discretionary non-defense spending. So that's 15 percent of the budget. We have a lot more to do here. Congress and the administration have a lot of work ahead of them if we're going to move towards fiscal health. Uh, but this is a very, very important first step. So, I mean, it all kind of ties in, you know, to the national debt here and, and that larger discussion here. What's your view of that? And, and maybe how should our government view this, our growing national debt? Uh, you know, and it, it, to what degree does it really need to be addressed aggressively? So the bottom line here is debt really matters. And it's become an even more important issue uh, with inflation. Because as we, as we are dealing with inflation, and the conference board doesn't expect inflation to go away anytime soon uh, in terms of these, these rates that we have now, uh, we're, hope, we're hoping to see them hold and, and possibly come down, but inflation is not going to go away. Right now, in terms of the budget, uh, the servicing the debt now is costing as much as defense, which is about 800 plus billion dollars. That's just debt servicing. So that's having a major impact on how we are spending or can spend our national dollars to meet both our defense and non-defense needs as a nation. So that in and of itself makes it absolutely uh, uh, extremely important that we deal with uh, this overwhelming explosion of debt uh, in terms of uh, particularly the debt ratio to GDP. Uh, which is now our debt ratio is equal to uh, GDP. It's at 100 percent. In terms of kind of the work requirements with some of those social programs, Medicaid, Medicare, et cetera, uh, any read through on on kind of fiscal spending from from that perspective? We know that was one of the sticking points in the deal. Uh, So I just want to want to point out that Medicare and Medicaid were not included uh, in this. Uh, in the work requirements. The work requirements are really the food program uh, and the temporary assistance for needy, needy families program. And uh, while the requirements have expanded, uh, particularly in terms of the age that is covered, the age has uh, been raised uh, to 55 years, years old for the SNAP program, uh, there have been exemptions. And so it's going to take uh, veterans, homeless, have been exempted from um, uh, the, these work requirements. So it's going to take a little bit of uh, budget maneuvering and analysis to figure out whether it's a save or uh, it's actually going to cost more. Uh, right now, quick analysis, um, most uh, analysts are seeing it as a wash. We're speaking with Dr. Lori Esposito-Murray, president of uh, the Committee for Economic Development for the Conference Board. So, uh, Dr. Murray, I mean, I guess the political reality is this debt ceiling limit and some of the spending issues, the budget kind of kicked down the, the road, kicked the can down the road for a couple of years. But I guess from market's perspective, that's probably the best we could have hoped for. It, you know, it is the best we could have hoped for, uh, but it also is a, is a pretty good start. It is, it is a bipartisan vote, 314 to 117. You had 149 Republicans in the House voting for, for this bill. Uh, it's, it's an incredible accomplishment for Speaker McCarthy, who just a couple of months ago we saw go through a 15-vote uh, series before he be, could become Speaker. Uh, he's really demonstrating leadership uh, in, in the House and also demonstrating uh, with his Republican colleagues that Republicans can actually uh, govern, which I think is really significant uh, uh, in terms of the Republican Party and in terms of the Speaker's leadership. 
So, Doctor, let's let's step away from from the debt story for for a moment to talk about these recessionary calls. The consensus seems to be that by the end of this year, we will have a, a recession on our hands in the U.S. Uh, shallow, deep consensus is shallow right now. What would change that point of view? Uh, well, according to the conference board, the way we're looking at it is that it will be short in a shallow recession uh, by the end of the year, likely by the end of the year. Uh, the main drivers of the recession are inflation and high interest rates. So dealing with inflation is is uh, absolutely critical uh, in terms of um, uh, tempering uh, that recession and uh, coming out of it. So, I mean, on to that end, I mean, I guess a reasonable call can be made that, you know, with the variable lag, long and variable lag, that the Fed should, in fact, pause here for a while, that 525 basis points is enough to kind of cool inflation. Um, are you in that camp that they should pause and, and see how things shake out? Oh, well, we're expecting them to pause uh, in terms of the um, uh, hike in either, um, in, probably in June, but then expecting uh, one or more 25 basis point hikes uh, later on the summer. Should we be at all worried about Treasury issuance now? That seemed to be one of the concerns in the lead up to um, as this deal was, was getting figured out. Uh, how do we view the Treasury? Uh, so, you know, one thing that is really important here in terms of this agreement and uh, the whole debt ceiling debate in general is, uh, you know, given the significant and, and uh, dominant role that the U.S. economy plays in the global economy uh, and the importance of uh, Treasury securities being a safe haven, uh, which also uh, underpins our economy. Uh, you know, again, coming back to this deal, coming back to the fact that it looks like that if this this is going to get through the Senate and on the president's desk uh, in time uh, for the X date of June 5th, uh, it's it's so important uh, in terms of uh, our credibility and Treasury's credibility globally uh, that we maintain that role and Treasury securities maintain that role in the global economy. All right. Our thanks to Dr. Lori Esposito-Murray, president Committee for Economic Development for the Conference Board, uh, talking about getting this debt deal done uh, and getting it, uh, as Dr. Esposito-Murray said, getting it through the Senate, presumably in the next day or two, um, and then on the president's desk. And you know, By Saturday, the, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, you know, it's cutting it close here, but again, that's where it seems to be now. Uh, and the expectation is it should get through the Senate fairly quickly without much drama. Uh, and then, of course, the president has indicated that he will sign it. So... That's kind of uh, kind of where we are. And again, up to that June 5th or 6th kind of uh, new X date, if you will, that uh, the, when the U.S. will run out of money, presumably. So good news there. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to The Team. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Seems like since China's reopened, Curdy, a lot of U.S. CEOs have been making their way to China to kind of check in on things. Tim Cook from Apple. And just this week, you had Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan, Chase, yeah. uh, Elon Musk was there. Um, trying to get a sense of where that economy is, where that market is in terms of opportunity. So we want to get uh, some insight. We go to Brendan Ahern, CIO of Crane Shares, does a lot of work uh, in China with the markets there. Brendan, this accelerated China reopening is, I don't know, it's it, it's good. It's We've got a lot of CEOs making their way back over to China to kind of reignite some discussions here. H- how do you view China right now as a economic player and, and as a potential partner or trading uh, partner with the U.S.? Yeah, yeah, and I'd point out uh, NVIDIA's Jensen Huang uh, mentioned that he'll be uh, visiting China next month. We don't have the exact dates, uh, but join right. Jamie Dimon, Elon Musk, uh, Franklin Templeton, a whole host of executives. But, yeah, I, mean, I think we're see- you're seeing a reopening economy that is growing incrementally, incrementally slowly. Some of the historical drivers of China's economy, export-driven manufacturing has been fairly lackluster due to the global economy slowing. You also have their property market has been very lackluster. That historically see a lot of infrastructure stimulus. You're not seeing it, which really leaves the domestic consumption story, which really requires consumer confidence to build. And we are seeing those green shoots. It just it's happening slower and investors want to see policymakers step on that stimulus gas pedal. Well, Brendan, speaking of that stimulus gas pedal, where does the PBOC stand in all of this? I feel like one of the highlights of the last couple of years has been this divergence between most of the world's central banks and then the PBOC going in the opposite direction. Do we see some sort of um, whatever the opposite of a divergence is? Convergence. Convergence. Do we see a convergence? Convergence. (laughs) You know, you know, unlikely that that China's uh, your central bank. Great, great observation. Just you you see central banks globally following the Fed higher. The PBOC is going the opposite direction, you know, and that's led, um, you know, CNH right now. China's offshore EMB at 711. So off versus the dollar. And, And I think that's where. You, you see them incrementally easing. You know, we're very likely we'll see a bank reserve requirement ratio cut, potentially the loan prime rate or the intrabank lending rate cut next month. It's it just more of, you know, investors are kind of in a, you know, show me now. You know, you know I kind of called it the, you know, the where's the beef. You know, you know, they're getting anxious and capital is flowing within Asia, within EM, in the short run, to areas like Japan, to India, 
just because they're you know gotten very impatient on policy support from the PBOC and the central government. So, Brendan, on the consumer side of the economy, talk to us about the unemployment in China, particularly teen unemployment. We know that we've heard that that continues to be stubbornly high. And what does that tell you? Yeah, the you know if you think about young younger people, um, <laughs> you know, I guess that's, I have to describe it that way as I, as, as I get older. But uh, you know, recent college graduates, you know, a lot of these folks end up working in the service sector. That you know could be hotels. Uh, could be restaurants, um, airlines, and you know, et cetera. So, so you know, you had with the removal of zero COVID, uh, COVID run rampant in China in the latter part of Q4 of last year, the beginning of Q1 of this year. So that that really weighed on a lot of this service sector jobs. And as domestic travel has picked up, you're seeing, you know, you had Air China. You know, they're hiring a thousand new flight attendants. You know, as people start traveling more domestically, your hotels are going to need more people. So, so the, the youth unemployment, I think, will slowly come down. Um, it's just it's it, it just in the short run, it, it is quite high because of the knock on effect of, yep. of COVID running rampant, the effect on the consumer. Brandon, we started this discussion noting how so many high-profile U.S. CEOs are making their way to China over the last several weeks. Reality, is China investable? I mean, would I, if I, can I go to my board and say we, we need to build a plant in China or make big investments, multi-year investments in China? I just don't know what the government is going to do. Well, is that the U.S. government or the Chinese government? I think that's, that's probably a little both. A little bit of both, and and I think I think you know these flurry of executives and, 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 and you've seen it from European executives as well. Um, you know, a whole host of, of European executives have been in China uh, year to date. You know, business people are getting on airplanes and meeting, having meals with one another. The politicians aren't. And, and I think, you know, during COVID, you know, you had COVID babies, but you also had COVID divorces and the U S China political relationship has very much frayed due to a lack of travel diplomatically. If you think about, you know, China's Commerce Secretary just met with Gina Raimondo um, and U.S. Trade Rep um, Tsai just last week. He's the first senior Chinese official to visit the United States in four years. At the same time, no senior U.S. official has been in China in four years. So so I think hopefully the politicians can take a lead from what we're seeing from the corporate world, which is these two economies are very, very yeah. intertwined with one another. Well, Brendan, in our, in our last minute or so here, uh, let's take a step back. We have a, a listener question uh, asking about when the market views, it, views a pause or potentially a cut stateside in the U.S. as a negative, given your, your financial expertise. Uh, talk to us about your view on that. Uh, for U.S., I mean, I think the, you know, the, the, the view increasingly is, you know, do you have this June hike or not, or certainly a July? You know, I, I, you know Larry Fink um, of BlackRock obviously has uh, tremendous insights. You know, he thought that you had June, July, and we're done. So I think, I think that could be for non-U.S. investors, EM investors, China investors. The dollar strength has been a, such a headwind. And if we get, you know, one or two done, get a bit of a pause, I think it brings 
brings a lot of potential for the dollar to maybe weaken a little bit, which would be a great tailwind for our investments in emerging markets in China. All right, Brendan, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Brendan Ahern, CIO of Crane Shares, giving us a little overview of what's happening in China here as they continue to reopen from a very uh, severe COVID uh, lockdown. And now a lot of the uh, U.S. and other and European CEOs making the way to China to see, kind of get a firsthand look at the business environment uh, in China these days as it relates to their businesses and potentially future investments. So uh, Elon Musk was there this week. Uh, Jamie Dimon, JP Morgan Chase was there. They had a big, big investor conference there. So uh, perhaps a little thawing there. You're listening to The Tape. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I want to get right to our next guest, David Dietz. He's a managing principal and senior portfolio manager at PPAC Private Wealth Management. Uh, David, thanks so much for joining us here. W looks like we're going to get this debt ceiling done, so I guess that removes one worry for the market here. What do you think the market should be focusing on going forward? I think one thing that the market is focusing on now is not just that we're getting agreement on suspending the debt cap ceiling, but the implications of how that agreement was reached. Not only where there's no new spending, but basically the current administration's promise of raising taxes, indeed, on corporations from 21% to 28%, the wealthiest from 37 to 39.6, seems to have gone completely off the board and seems to be iced until after the next presidential election. I don't think investors at first blush are focusing on that increasingly. I think that is a very important issue that uh, people are now starting to take note. What does that look like then in terms of the trade? One thing that I've been thinking about a lot is downside to the dollar. What else should I be thinking about? Well, you know, the other thing is probably, you know, lower interest rates and so forth, because if there's no new spending, that's a bit deflationary. And the other risk, of course, for investors going forward is if we do, as many indicators seem to suggest, go into a recession, mild or otherwise, we cannot expect any fiscal stimulus to help get us out of that. And so as a result, I think that coupled with some lower inflation readings that I'm starting to detect here, uh, plus less fiscal firepower, um, interest rates could start to roll over a tad. So we're going to have uh, the Fed on June 14th kind of let us know kind of where they are with their rates. Are you looking for them to pause, pivot? Uh, what, are, what are you looking for? So what I think has really juiced this rally today is just this week there's been a complete flip between expectations for a hike to now expectations for a pause or a skip or whatever you want to call it. And I, and I think what's really important here is although the labor market is staying strong, when you start looking at more leading indicators, so for example, um, we saw the seventh month in a row down on the manufacturing index, an important index, of course, of producer prices encompassed in that, also down. And of course, unit labor growth costs coming down. You know, your labor numbers are your most lagging indicator, but the more forward-looking indicators suggest less and less price pressure. Now, mind you, all eyes will be on tomorrow's uh, May jobless numbers. That could change all the betting. But increasingly, it seems like the Fed is starting to get the job done, and we really should look for a pause or a skip or whatever you want to call it. 
And just to go even more micro than that, in your note, you mentioned advanced auto parts. What does the advanced auto parts story tell you about uh, how the Fed's impact on, uh, with rate hikes has been going? Uh, so certainly, to look at it a little bit more broadly, we're seeing a number of retailers, whether that be Target, whether that be Macy's, whether that be some of the dollar stores, that seem to have really reduced their forecasts and coming in overall with uh, results that are less than expected. Of course, you know, the, the disaster du jour yesterday was advanced auto parts. It's hard to tell down nearly 40% from where it was at the start of the week, whether that is company-specific or has bigger implications for the whole economy. We saw some of its competitors, for example, Genuine Parts, also decline too. So it's hard to no, I guess one thing that one takeaway, of course, is don't believe every analyst out there because they all had it wrong, and now they're rushing this morning to mark down their forecasts and so forth. And I guess they saw something with a 35% decline, 70% slash in profits, and a 70% plus slash in dividends that they didn't like. So, David, you know, it just seemed like just a couple of weeks ago, we were all concerned about the banking situation in this country, the banking system. Um, I guess they were certainly past any panic kind of phase. Are there any banks out there that maybe got thrown out with the bathwater? So I think there's more risk for the banks going forward. Obviously, when you have these super high short-term interest rates, it does give an incentive to move out of your traditional deposits and into a money market or a treasury. Having said that, I do believe that there are a number of banks that we've looked at which have been going around for almost two centuries and is sticking to their knitting and it's just too cheap. One we would suggest is Citizens Financial Group. It started in 1828, has a nice footprint in the Northeast. Uh, you're trading at about half a book value. It's off by nearly 50% since uh, early February, 6.5% dividend, four times free cash flow. It seems like they've been through these ups and downs over nearly 200 years. They'll get through this. In the meantime, I think that that low market price doesn't send you to diversify and take a look at something like Citizens First. I want to talk to you about the AI rally as well. Uh, I'm talking to the CEO of C3AI later today, so I'm being a little bit selfish and using my time with you to ask about that. Talk to me about what your big question is about the hype around AI. Is it warranted? Certainly, AI has the potential to revolutionize everything we do. You know, it's, it's kind of like Google search on steroids. So I love that. Here's the, here's the thing, though. One is a lot of companies have been doing similar stuff for the last decade, only now are they starting to highlight it because they're getting uh, so many questions about it and a pop in their stock price. And the other thing from an investing point of view is you always want to be cautious about paying up to ridiculous levels for uh, the hype. Because, of course, AI is going to be more expensive than traditional search. Everyone in the world is going to be uh, jumping into the space. And of course, we haven't seen the government regulation. The government's still trying to figure out what does this mean and to the extent it invades privacy or has the tendency to mislead people. They're going to come down hard. I, I think Italy's already banned it. So that's another thing investors have to watch for. I think one nice thing about today's rally is we saw C3 AI. It was down big time early this morning. It's come back a little bit. I still think it's down double digits, suggesting that people are now looking beyond the hype and looking at other areas of the market that have some value now after uh, kind of a, a muted May for, for most of the rank and file in the market. All right, David, thanks so much again for joining us. Always appreciate getting some of your thoughts. That's David Dietz. He's a managing principal 
and Senior Portfolio Manager at PPAC Private Wealth Management, always with some nice, clear, and concise messaging there. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to The Team. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we're talking about, you know, Macy's and some of the other retailers we're seeing over the last several days and kind of getting to the, the, the strength of the consumer out there. Um, and that is a big, big issue for obviously the markets and for the Federal Reserve as they think about what to do with this economy with these interest rates. So to get a sense of kind of where we are with the consumer, maybe focusing on Gen Z and the millennials, uh, we talked to Christina Roman. She's a consumer education and advisory manager at Experian. Um, Christina, thanks so much for joining us here. When we think about some of the younger uh, folks out there, the Gen Z, the millennials, how are they financially right now coming out of the pandemic? Where are they right now? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Well, what we found, we recently did a survey of how millennials and Gen Zers um, are faring in the current economy because we know that they're going to be the biggest drivers of spending, and we wanted to get a better uh, understanding of their personal finance and credit knowledge. And what we found is that 70% of consumers feel as though the current environment is hurting their ability to be financially independent. But as a result of that, we're seeing this trend where consumers are becoming more focused on their personal financial health and seeking out trusted resources for personal finance information. So they're really looking inward because there are so many factors that they can't control and they want to better understand how to manage their personal finances. So a big part of what you do, Christina, if I'm correct, is reach young people where they are on social media with that finance education. Is that right? Yes. So talk to me about what that strategy for you has looked like. Uh, I'm a big finance TikToker. I make a lot of those TikTok videos about personal finance advice. Uh, what do you see that works and what do you see that you think is, is not helpful for young people looking to beef up their financial futures? Yeah, you know, I think also it's important to know that we're at a point where information can be consumed anywhere, right? So we've been working, we've had a credit chat program that we've um, managed on Twitter for more than 10 years. And 
you know, we branched out into live conversation as, as well. And consumers want you to be human. They want to know that you're there for them. And so one, uh, one tactic that we deployed was at taking their questions and just answering them very honestly. And I think um, this is really important. And what this highlighted for us is that consumers, they don't know everything that we think that they know about credit. And um, knowledge is power. You know, not everyone grew up in a household where money and personal finance topics were freely discussed. And financial literacy courses were not often, you know, required in school. I know that was my experience growing up. We didn't often talk about money in the household. And oftentimes, navigating finances kind of felt like trial by fire. But this focus on financial literacy and financial education really helps consumers to navigate their financial lives and make decisions that can set them up for success, which is you know, we, why we believe in financial power for all, and we make ourselves available on Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, you know, just LinkedIn. All of these sources are a great opportunity for us to share the incredible resources that we have available to help consumers learn how to manage their credit. We have our Ask Experian blog, which answers just about every question a consumer could possibly have about credit and personal finance. And we share these resources via our chats and uh, our social media initiatives. Hey, Christina, how about particularly for some of the, the, the younger folks out there, the millennials, the Gen Z, student debt, it's, it's such a big part of their financial life, more so than maybe my generation. What, do you, what are the biggest issues that, that, that you hear about from, from your clients and kind of what is your general advice? Regarding student debt, I think it's just, it's really important for consumers to make sure that they know the terms of the loans that they're taking on, not taking on more than they, uh, than they actually need. Because I think it's that some consumers, um, when they're applying for student loans, they actually take on more than they actually need. And they don't realize that all of that's going to have to be paid at the end. So it's important to do your research when you're taking on your debt. And then when it comes time to pay your student loan debt, contact your lenders. Get an understanding of what the payment options are, um, how you can best manage that. You know, do you have a grace period? Because some, some students, when they graduate from college, they may have a bit of a grace period before they have to start paying that off. And that just gives them the opportunity to look for a job or secure a job that they can then use to uh, help to pay that loan off. So it's really important to know the terms of any loan that you're taking on, to contact your lenders. And if you're having trouble paying your student loan debt back, now right now we are in a pause, but once that starts back up, if you don't feel like you're in a position where you can immediately start to pay it back, contact your lenders as soon as possible because that can help, um, that can help them to help maybe create a plan for you so that you can feel more confident when you start to resume your payments. Yeah, Goldman had a note this morning, by the way, that, uh, Paul, I thought you'd like this, that uh, the unpausing of student loan debt is yes. going to add to add to consumer spending and inflation. So that's that's a bad news bears for the Fed moment. But going back to the personal finance advice that you provide, move a little later in life for me. The people you speak with who have paid off their student loans, they have a little bit of savings and they're not sure what to do with it. What questions are they asking you about where to put their money right now? Are they concerned about keeping all of their savings at a bank, given some of the issues that we've seen in the banking sector? 
I can't honestly speak to that. I haven't seen that personally. We haven't received questions about that. Most of the questions that we receive typically are focused on credit and how um, consumers can best set themselves up for success when managing their credit and personal finance. How about residential real estate? That's a big part of people's net worth historically uh, in this country. But again, a lot of folks uh, finding it challenging now, particularly that interest rates have gone up. So how do you kind of think about real estate when you, when you talk to your customers? When we talk to customers, we really focus more so on achieving the best possible interest rate to get, I mean, I'm sorry, achieving the best possible credit score to qualify for the best interest rate. Because we know that your credit score is going to directly impact your loan terms. And achieving the best possible interest rate will help to reduce, um, you know, the amount that you're going to have to pay over the lifetime of that loan. So we really advise consumers to begin to look at your credit report about three to six months ahead of making any real estate or planning to make any real estate purchase. And you can do that, you know, via our free credit monitoring app. We offer the Experian credit report and the FICO score where consumers can begin to monitor their credit to get an understanding of what's in their credit history and also not to make any major purchases before you plan to enter in the real estate market um, because that could affect your credit, which could then impact your interest rate. And this is not the time where you want to impact your interest rate negatively. Final 30 seconds here. What would you say is the biggest mistake that you see uh, the folks you work with make? I think the biggest mistake that we see is um, as far as like just not informing consumers enough that they have the power to check their credit reports and their credit scores. I think um, there's so many misconceptions about credit and um, we get asked this often. And so it's really important to check your credit report as often as you can. This is not going to impact your credit score negatively and it will set you up for success you know, when you're ready to make a milestone purchase. Christina, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate uh, getting the benefit of some of your your thoughts and analysis there. Christina Roman, Consumer Education and Advocacy Manager at Experian, uh, working with folks, particularly some of the younger folks out there, to kind of uh, manage their financial situation. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.